It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome. My name is Mark Hamilton. And before we get to today's podcast, I decided I'd give you a little bit of an update. As a lot of you know, I've been doing some work recently with a Saudi Arabian Middle East Formula One content production media startup called Mina Grand Prix. And the cool part about that is we're going to be able to start collaborating and creating some cool content on the Mina GP banner side, but also start incorporating some of that content into our existing Scuderia F1 podcast feed. So today's example, we're going to sit down with Charbel Saloum from Mina Grand Prix, and we're going to talk a little bit about the state of current power engine regulations and future power unit regulations this is a perfect example of some of the cross functional work that you're going to see in some of the collaborations so i just wanted to introduce the concept right off the top i think you guys are going to really enjoy today's episode it was probably the most fun i've had recording an episode in many many months if you do like it uh, please let us know slide me some feedback via dm twitter social media instagram Uh, whatever you want to do, but I would love to hear your feedback. In the meantime, please enjoy this very special episode, which is a collaboration between Mina Grand Prix and Scuderia F1. A locomotive sipping, drinking Arizona Mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this on you Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like Songum and my songs Gon' break through like a running back Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton and joining me today, my friend from the other side of the world, joining me live from Doha, Qatar, my good friend, Mr. Shabal Saloum. My friend, how are you? I'm fine, Mark. How are you doing? It's been a long time. I'm doing amazing. It's been too long. Of course, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know Shabal joined us last summer and we sat down and we did... F1 Power Units 101, and we've long promised to do a 102, but my friend, I'm sitting here, it's in Vancouver, it's 18 degrees with 65% humidity, check in the temperature where you are, it's 8 p.m., 37 degrees, and 50% humidity, a little toasty, my friend, how, how, do you, how do you manage it? I'm trying to manage it because this is new to me, and uh, I've been la- living in a, a cool country, and now I have moved to Qatar, where it's... Uh... The temperature is rocketing and the humidity. So we are waiting also next week to uh, 48, okay? <laughs> 48 degrees Celsius wow. and the humidity is like also it's going to be high. I've, I've shared this story with uh, with our listeners before, man, but I went to the, the Gulf region once in June or July. I think it was June. And we, uh, we arrived at the airport in the morning and we had a couple of hours to kill before we could check into our apartment. Yeah. So we went to a shopping mall and we got to the shopping mall at like eight, nine in the morning. We parked and I went to the mall and at about noon, we decided like, hey, we should probably get going. Let's go get the car. And it was one of those weird malls that had surface parking, which is super unusual in the Gulf countries because typically it's underground, it's podium parking. So I'm like, I'll go get the car and I'll bring it closer to the entrance. So my wife and my two-year-old and my wife's husband or my wife's uh, father didn't have to walk in the heat. 
it was probably 300 feet, man. Like I got 150 feet, like halfway there. And I'm like, I'm not going to make it to the car. <laughs> like it was 48 degrees with like 65% humidity. Like I'm not going to make it. And I, I turned back to the mall. Like I'm beyond the point of no return. So I managed to get to the car. I picked them up, but I was very, very sweaty. So I feel you. Summer in the Gulf countries is crazy. Oh, that's crazy. So my, my friend, we're here to talk a little bit about Formula One, and we're not going to talk about the championship. We're not going to talk about the fact that right now as we speak, it's a sprint weekend in Belgium. But I wanted to bring you on because I wanted to talk a little bit about engine troubles. And and really, and again, I think a lot of our listeners have probably picked up on this when I need to pick up some technical knowledge. I, I slide into your WhatsApp messages and like, hey, can you, can you help me understand this and this and this? But there's a couple of topics that I really wanted to speak to you about because we've been covering them on the shows recently, but I, I thought our listeners deserved more of a technical understanding of what's happening. And the first place that I wanted to start was the current engine freeze. So I think everybody knows that the current generation of power units were introduced in 2014. And from 2014 through 2021, the, the manufacturers that were producing these power units continually revised and updated them and they made incremental enhancements and added reliability and power. But there was suddenly a freeze on development that went into full effect in 22 and it's in full effect through 2025. Can, can you remind the audience why there is a current engine freeze? Like, why did that happen? Why did we freeze the development of the current power unit? Yeah, exactly. But before that, uh, Mark, uh, you chose the right time to do this, if you can call it 102, <laughs> episode 102, because in <laughs> 101, we talked uh, to, uh, uh, about the 2026 regulations. And uh, the past month, we, we started hearing like a lot of problems and uh, like team principals talking. We're going to get to this. And uh, right now, we're gonna talk about the engine freeze. Okay, as we know that last year in 2022, we started uh, the engine freeze. Uh, we had two phases or two uh, schedules. In March, approximately in March, we had the freeze on the internal combustion engine, the turbo, uh, the, the electronics. In September, the uh, freeze was on the MGUK and on the uh, batteries energy store. These uh, these freeze, like we can say, uh, it's, it's just to make this phase from now till 2025 more uh, like leveling the field, if we can say, because uh, we don't want to, or, or the FIA, <laughs> we don't have to do anything with it. The FIA uh, don't want anything to happen like the domination that Mercedes had since 20, uh, 2014 till 2020. And this engine freeze is about this. Plus, uh, they don't want these current teams, Ferrari, Mercedes, Alpine, and if we can say Red Bull, that are using right now the uh, Honda powertrain, and to have advantage on any of the teams we are quoting any of the teams that they are coming in 2026. And we knew that in 2026, we have right now one team and probably a second one. But uh, that's the main uh, reason they freeze the engine. It's, it's interesting, right? That from a economics perspective, 
it's not a bad thing for the sport, right? Like it 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 requires massive financial resources to invest in the development of a power unit. And I think from an economic perspective, that's probably something the teams were willing to sign up for that. Look, we can see we can see the end of the runway that the current generation of power unit is going to be retired at the end of 25. We're introducing something new in 26. Why don't we freeze the development of the current power unit now so the teams can take those financial resources and focus on developing the 2026 power unit. Now, I I think where this gets where this gets really interesting is um, obviously, at the end of 2020, Honda made that shock announcement that they were exiting Formula One again. They've they've come and gone so many times. My head's spinning, but they announced yeah. they announced again that they so were going to exit the sport. Yeah. And at the point, I I think Red Bull were. If Honda's not going to be here to supply us with power units, where are we going to get them from? We know that Ferrari's not going to supply. We know that Mercedes isn't going to supply. We sure as hell don't want to go back to Renault after all the struggles that we had after the transition from V8s to the the current turbo hybrid uh, structure. And, And I think the agreement was that originally that Red Bull would stand up their own powertrains division, their own factory on the campus at Milton Keynes, and they would basically buy the IP for the current spec Honda engines. So they would say, hey, Honda's going to stop producing these engines. We're going to take the blueprints and we're going to build the Honda engines ourselves. And in parallel, we'll start developing our own power unit for 2026 that doesn't use any, any Honda IP. And I think what happened was Christian Horner had gone and campaigned to the rest of the team saying, look, we're going to take on the responsibility of building a power unit. We can't do that and at the same time develop upgrades to that power unit. And I think it was Christian Horner that really campaigned for this engine freeze because they were in this unique situation where they were going to take on the manufacturer of the Honda power units. Now, that never actually happened. As we all know, Honda is still supplying Red Bull with power units from Tokyo. And of course, they're now rebranded Honda. But I think that was in a lot of ways the genesis for the engine freeze. Now, the reason this conversation is is relevant is... The assumption was that when the engine freeze went into effect, that there would be some degree of equalization between the teams, that Ferrari, Mercedes, uh, Honda, Renault, they would all have reasonably similar amounts of power being generated from these power units. And I think what has happened subsequent to that is that there's been a disparity. There's this growing disparity between power from the Ferrari Red Bull slash Honda, Ferrari, and, and Renault power units. And the conversation now, and this kind of came out of left field the last couple of weeks, is there's this now campaign to equalize the playing field. And I think there's a general acknowledgement that there's a significant power delta between Renault and the rest of the field, some of which has been created because while these teams aren't allowed to upgrade the power units purely with the intention of creating more power, they're allowed to incrementally advance the development of the power unit for reliability, which sometimes creates power. But all that to say there's a power gap and there's now a team in Renault that is campaigning for an equalization effort. Christian Horner supports it as he should because the engine freeze was his idea to begin with. But what does this mean and how could this even be implemented with two years left in the current regulations? I think in my humble opinion, this is impossible. You can't uh, bring the, 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 the power units all to the same level it's impossible because uh, we've talked about this in the past all engineers and the teams have like tricks under the sleeves and uh, the engineers as you as you said uh, they can use the reliability card and they can bring back the uh, power uh, to their power unit but uh, if there will be some restriction 
I don't know how they are going to, because as you said, uh, uh, the FIA was studying the output of the engines uh, throughout the 2023, uh, throughout this year. I don't know how they are going to, to imply. In the previous, uh, as I remember, like in uh, Toro Rosso for 2007, because they were uh, migrating from 10 V, V10 engines to V8 engines, Toro Rosso couldn't manage to get a V8 engine, okay? So the FIA, what did they do? They told her, yes, you can use this V10 engine, but they had restriction on the rev, they had rev limiter and restriction air flow, okay? They had a restriction on the airflow also to bring down the power of this engine. So it's like an equal with the, uh, it would be an equal output with the V8 engines used with the other teams. So how are they going to imply? this rule on the current engines on different teams who's hiding his power who's hiding more power who's hiding uh, reliability who's hiding everything we don't know i think this is uh, a cinderella story i don't know uh, what, how can i i can uh, describe it but it's impossible it's impossible yeah it, it's so fascinating and philip horton tweeted a couple of days ago he says the fia just like you indicated trouble the fia has been analyzing the power unit performance of the cars during the first half of 2023 and concluded that there is one such notable performance gap between the competitors and he continues on clearly a drive-by uh there at alpine so shots shots fired alpine is catching the strays here uh but it is it is a very interesting situation and i think the assumption was that coming through 21-22, there was a general acknowledgement and some confidence from Enstone and, and of course, the, the engine production facility back in, in France that they were pretty close to competitive with the other suppliers. And I think the general consensus since then is that Ferrari and, and Mercedes and, and Honda have continued to innovate and modify their engines for reliability purposes. But and maybe you can speak to this. It's very difficult to make a reliability update to a power unit without potentially also increasing the power output of that power unit. That That is sometimes an immediate byproduct. And I don't know how the FIA can govern that. If you say, hey, I need to replace part X because it's a reliability issue and part Y, which is going to go into its place, is more reliable but also increases power, how does the FIA govern that it's it's a very very sticky situation yeah it's a very sticky situa situation the fia or the teams can uh can still work on three po three points we've talked about this in the past reliability safety issues and cost uh, saving if you can produce or uh, make a part more re reliable and gaining they didn't say gaining in this term but engineers are able to gain power with the reliability also they can gain power changing this part under the safety reason if we can say and in the cost saving also we can change engineers you can stop the engineers they will always they are weasels <laughs> they will always gonna find uh, something to do uh, new tricks new 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 uh, inventions new i don't know what because they want more power all the teams want the domination Every team wants to dominate and stay stay on the top of others. You know, you you make this comment about the engineers being weasels, and and I've said this before that 
the very best Formula One teams and the very best designers and engineers, they're they're like a salesperson. They walk that very fine line between being completely compliant and onside and and breaking the rules, right? Like the very best teams, the very best designers and the engineers, they push the regulations to the limit. And sometimes they go over and sometimes they get caught and sometimes they don't. And I think the 2019 Ferrari was a perfect example of they just pushed the limit a little too far, got a little bit confident and ultimately got got their hand slapped. But where do you think then this is going to go? So we're sitting here, we're midway twenty three, midway through 2023. Um, I think there's this general kind of consensus that three of the four suppliers are pretty equivalent on power. Um, there's some public support, particularly from Christian Horner. And again, like I said, the only reason there's a freeze is because he campaigned for it, but there's public support for an equalization. And, and you know, I talked to you and I've talked to some other people offline. I don't know what that means. Like, I don't know what that looks like. Do you do you give Alpine no a window? Knows. Yeah, exactly. Do you give Alpine a window no whereby they're like, hey, you can crack open the internal combustion engine and, and you can do some things to create that that kind of kind of feel that horsepower deficit or do you throttle back the other teams on the grid which i'm sure they would be massively resistant to what, what would be the amount what would be the amount throttling down let's say red bull okay what would be the amount who told you that red bull are showing only 80 percent from the of their power when you're throttling down red bull they have still have 20 percent. they can put it back in their in their engine or in their pu no one knows how this can be done. I told you, it is it is impossible. I don't know. Previously, they introduced the tokens to like level the fields with the Mercedes because they had, they were like way ahead of others in the PU, and you know about tokens. Now we have the engine freeze. Okay, so they basically saying no, you're not allowed to change anything in your power. But now we we are seeing a big deficit between teams, especially Red Bull this year. With the others it's not coming totally from the pu but the pu is playing a good role in this uh alpine are back and uh, if we go back in uh, like 2018 and 19 when red bull said uh, sorry alpine said uh, back then renault that we have now a car of 1000 horsepower Whereas everyone else, we didn't reach, we, we, we couldn't reach it, 925, 950 back then. So where are the 1,000 horsepower right now? Where did they go? My friend, I'm just going to quote Christian Horner here. Christian Horner said, I think, and this is in relation to the equalization efforts of Alpine, I think it's a matter of seeing what are the deficits. I think the FI have all the data and they should present exactly what the differences are. I think that would be fascinating for everybody to see. And I think that if there is a deficit under the current freeze, then it's something that we should be sensible about. Otherwise, we're locked in for two years. So I wouldn't be adverse to a sensible discussion. Otmar Snafnauer, the, the now terminated team principal, uh, the terminated team terminated, principal yeah. of Alpine <laughs> says, I'm glad Christian said that because if you look back, the reason the engines were frozen was because Honda was pulling out at that time and Red Bull didn't have an engine department to continue developing. He continues, the reason we all agreed was for the benefit of Red Bull. So it's quite nice that Christian recognized that. My friend, do you do you have, and I, I think this would be just a wild guess, but do you have any understanding of what that delta could be? Is it is it 20 horsepower? Is it 50 horsepower? No, 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 not, not more than 15. 
I'm pretty sure this deficit is not more than 15. We've seen previously like 30... 1.5, 15, 15 horsepower, yes, 1.5. Five. Five. We've seen previously with the old uh, Honda engine power uh, PU, like 35. They were down from 35 to 50. And we've seen these uh, times, uh, the delta time on the circuit. But with Alpine, man, they are quick. They are fast. It's not about 30 horsepower. 30 horsepower in Formula 1 is a huge number. It's going to put uh, 0.4 seconds in, uh, in your lap time. So with, with, with the Alpine, I say, I just say like 15, 10 probably. It's all about these fractions. Between Mercedes and Ferrari, probably 5, 7. Red Bull also. It's going to be like this. Not more than this. Your opinion on this. So the reality is the other teams have been able to create this delta, this advantage, because their engineers have been smart. And from an Alpine perspective, either they went into the freeze at a disadvantage or they weren't able to make the incremental updates that the other teams were able to. Is it appropriate that the championship should be leveling the field? That if, if Formula One is as much an engineering challenge as it is a sporting challenge, should we even be having this conversation? And I, I'd love your perspective. No, not at all. We, uh, Formula One started for uh, racing purposes, uh, pushing each other further, okay? So why now we want to freeze this, stop this from inventing or invention? Because after all, all the inventions that are created in the Formula One, they are applied to, the, uh, to our normal life from the, what, uh, whatever is used in Formula One, uh, the, the technologies, the, the uh, ABS system, for example, the, uh, uh, even the, the, the materials used are also reflected to our daily use. They are doing good to us, okay? So why do, you want, why do you want to stop this? Why do you want to stop the creativity of the engineers? Let's see where we can reach. Probably they are scared of um, having a championship like so, uh, the, the difference is so big, probably it's going to be, be more boring that, <laughs> than this year. Hey, it's not boring for the Red Bull uh, guys or whoever is rooting for Red Bull and Verstappen. But let's see in, in uh, the, the, the formula or this uh, year's uh, uh, 2023. From afar, we can see, no, it is kind of boring. Uh, there is no action. We know the, the result before the, the, this, the race starts. And uh, if we have an open door for all the engineers to invent, probably Red Bull will be like two seconds ahead of the others. I don't know. My friend, I, I think I, I'm totally aligned with you on this one. And I think there was always going to be a risk that when the engine freeze came, some teams might have a locked in advantage over the rest of the competition. And I think that's just what everybody signed up for because everyone signed up for the engine freeze. I also don't give Christian Horner a lot of credit here. The reality is they could go to Christian Horner and say, look, we're going to handicap you to the tune of 25 horsepower on that power unit. And I don't think it would make much of a dent in their championship aspirations. So he's not being particularly generous here. My friend, I want to pivot to another subject. So let's put this subject aside. And that subject was really the equalization of the current generation of turbo hybrid power units for the spirit of improving the championship and the caliber of, of sporting, uh, sporting competitiveness. The other topic that I want to get into is 
a perfect extension of the conversation that you and I had last year. So you and I had a conversation last year where we started breaking down the powertrains, the power units that the sport is going to introduce in 2026. And there's some symmetry, right? Like the current internal combustion engine is a super compact, lightweight 1.6 liter V6, which is quite a bit smaller than I think you'd find in a lot of passenger cars. It has a huge turbocharger, so it's forced induction. And the current... Uh, power unit configuration kind of has this dual hybrid system where it's creating electrical power from a couple of different sources, which we won't get into. 2026, they're ditching one of those hybrid systems. They're going to fully sustainable fuels. But one of the promises of the FIA in Formula One is that the power unit was going to generate 50% of its total power output from the electrical side of the powertrain. So today, the internal combustion engine, the turbocharger represent a significant ratio of the total power being generated. Generated. Recently, a number of different team principals, including Christian Horner, have been very, very vocal about the promised 50-50% split is not going to work, that they are doing simulations, that they've got these engines on the test bench, and what they're saying is... These engines simply can't, in their current proposed format, harvest enough electrical energy to charge the battery store to be able to deliver maximum power throughout a lap. Can you can you better articulate and walk through what the concern is and what the potential risks are in this situation? Okay, Mark. First of all, I think Christian Horner and the Red Bull are jumping the gun because uh, they, they're going to start producing their first power unit in 2026 okay it's gonna be uh, it's they're gonna raise their power unit now they don't have any experience in that till now honda they, they are using honda's ips and uh, they are not allowed to open the engine as you know the engineers they have engineers from honda that are responsible for the engines whatever engine has like damages or should be uh, revised it it goes back to japan now what's happening yeah the the we've talked in the, in our previous uh, episode about the engine they are yeah, they're scrapping the mguh we have a big turbo on 1.6 liter engine which is small we can call it small and the mguk it got bigger three times so the output of the mguk it, it went from it went from 120 kilowatt till 350 kilowatts now we are or, or the engineers and the team principal are looking at the data on the simulator what's gonna happen is this engine able to generate the electrical power to maintain this 50 50 we're gonna do small calculation you and i we're gonna get to this but uh, the main issue is you have a six gear ratio okay gearbox and a reverse gear so we have longer gear ratios now we have eight gears. Just imagine the rev of the engine, how it's gonna be. So we're gonna have longer gears. Plus, uh, the, the, the rev limiter this year or this generation is limited to 15,000 approximately. Everyone is doing 14, 13 and a half, but in 2026, we're not gonna have any uh, rev limiter so you can go up to 20,000 no one can stop you because you have to compensate on the lack of the MGH the turbo should should spool it should be spooled uh, with a higher rev engine it's complicated issue let's 
start to dissect it part by part. Let's go to the MGUK. MGUK is 350 kilowatts, but we know that you are allowed to have nine megajoules per lap. Okay, we've talked about this. It's well, it's very clear. I, I'm just reminding the people, the, the, the listeners, that you only have you are allowed from the maximum to the low uh, charge of the battery. It should be four megajoule. Okay, you can use it. You can charge it again four megajoules, and you still have one megajoule left. So these four megajoules should be generated by the MGUK only. We don't have MGUH with the MGUK and be used also to push or to help the engine to reach your speeds. Let's do a small calculation, you and I. One megajoule or one uh, watt hour, because people don't know relation bet between megajoule battery into kilowatt hour into horsepower into seconds. So we're going to do a small calculation or not. So one watt hour is equal to 0 .0, 0 0.0036 megajoules. So if we have, we're going to transform it to seconds because obviously we're going to use seconds. We're going to have 3,600 seconds in one hour. So it's going to be uh, 3,600 watt seconds. It's going to give us equivalent to 0, 0.00. 36 megajoules. Now we have four megajoules that we are allowed to use. Four megajoules times 3,600 divided by 0 0.0036 is going to be 4 million watt seconds. And now these watt seconds, we're going to divide it by the uh, power output of the MGUK. Let's take our today's MGUK, which is 120 kilowatt approximately, with dividing 4, 4 million by 120, uh, 120, we will have 33.3 seconds, which is, if you remember this number, of, you should know this number, because we know that these current power units are allowed to, be, to use the uh, electrical power to 33.3 seconds. If we go back to 2026, we divide this 4 million divided by 350 kilowatt, it's going to be 11.1 seconds. So the power unit in 2026, you can pull 11.1 seconds from one charge. Now, the main problem that uh, Christian Horner is saying, we're going to reach the end of the straight, we deple depleted the battery. Okay, this is 11.1 seconds, depleted the four megajoules. We need to recharge, but the straight didn't end. If we take a look at the circuits, we have like uh, Baku, long straight. We have Spa, we can consider it here because Monza, Monza a big straight. China, hopefully it's not going to cancel <laughs> or remove itself. Yes, hopefully, hopefully we, all, <laughs> we all want to get back to Shanghai. Yeah. So China, also we have a long straight. So if you take a look, yeah. Baku, it's more than 11 seconds full throttle. So what's going to happen there? Okay. Over here, it's the battle of the teams. Christian Horner knows where he is. Toto Wolf knows, knows where, where he is. Uh, Ferrari knows where it is or wh where the, their power unit is. Exactly. So uh, Christian Horner is saying at the end of the straight, we need to downshift to rev the engine. So it would charge the uh, battery, but no, that's not going to happen because obviously your RPM 
are gonna be like in the sixteen thousand, seventeen thousand. You don't, you're not gonna be lacking from uh, recharging. And uh, going out of the corner, there's the main problem because you don't have the MGH. We have basically a big turbo. Why? Because the uh, uh, the exducer uh, of the turbo, it is between 37 and 42 millimeter. 1.6 engine, liter engine. How is it going to spool this big turbo to uh, not have uh, the turbo lag? Okay. In my opinion, Ferrari are on top in this matter. Why? Because last year we've heard that Ferrari had like made a smaller turbo it's not smaller okay it's picking up speeds early but it's not smaller they changed they shifted the way where this turbo likes to work okay the spectrum if we can say you can shift it we all see these movies and charts the parable uh, of the turbo and the horsepower you can shift these wherever you want Okay, by the design of the turbo, by the, the design of the, 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 uh, the entire turbo. So over here, engineers should start thinking, I want the turbo to be, to be easy to spool, going out of the corner, plus uh, giving me power. I think Ferrari started last year with this. I, they have the upper hand, in my opinion. Everyone else should, of course, they are uh, focusing on some part. And, and if we take in consideration Toto's Wolf, what he said, uh, we've, we know that they have a good MGUK. That's why um, he contradicts uh, Christian Horner on what he said. So um, if you can look between the words, okay, between the lines, we can read between the lines. Christian Horner is afraid of his power unit is gonna be like enough. It's gonna, it's not gonna be able to deliver. Toto Wolf, he's is sure about what he has. After all, they still have the most power and powerful engine. No, it's not Honda this year. It's not but Honda is giving this advantage of the for for the, the Red Bull. Uh, Mercedes still have a very powerful engine. They only lack in the power deployment. And uh, it's going to be an exciting 2026. Hopefully, it's going to, hopefully, sorry, Mark, hopefully it's not going to be like scrap like last year. They, all, all the teams were all over the place. The, the rules were not clear. We had a lot of gray areas. Hopefully, I'm just hoping for that. I have a couple of quotes here. One of them is from Max Verstappen, and this kind of reinforces that point you just said about running out of kind of battery store, battery power on a straight. He says, if you go flat out on the straight at Monza, I don't know what it is, like four or 500 meters before the end of the straight, you have to downshift flat out because that's faster. I think that's not the way forward. And Christian Horner says, um, I think that perhaps where we need to pay urgent attention before too late is to look at the ratio between combustion power and electrical power to ensure we're not creating a technical Frankenstein. And to your point, Total Wolf has responded and said, look, our simulations are showing something very different, that this 50-50 split is achievable. You just need to trust in your engineers. And and Christian Horner then responded, shots fired, um, pretty low shots, but he responded to the fact that, look, I, Christian Horner, I sit here in Milton Keynes, I overlook the F1 team, and I look over Red Bull powertrains. Mercedes might be a kind of a works team, but the actual facility 
of the F1 team, the factory, and the production of the power unit are two separate facilities, Brackley and Bricksworth. And and Toto doesn't actively overlook the engine development, the process of that engine development. But all of that to say, um, I think a lot of this is politicking, right? That Christian Horner wants to revisit the split. He wants it to be 45-55. The rest of the field largely saying, hey, we're invested in this 50-50 split because that's what we signed up for. That's what's road relevant. A couple of other questions for you because these came up and I was making some notes as we were talking because I'm always super curious. But turbochargers are one of my favorite things in the world. I love Diet Pepsi. I love a, a really good, <laughs> I, I love a really good shawarma. Um, I love hot sunny days and I love turbochargers. Turbochargers are super exciting. And as, as a reminder to folks, um, turbochargers are not a new technology, but it's basically a piece of technology that's bolted onto an internal combustion engine. And of course, internal p- combustion engines create power because they mix fuel and air and a spark and you get a combustion. A turbocharger compresses air and forces air into that combustion chamber. You increase the amount of fuel and you get bigger combustion. So you create more power. So I love, I love turbochargers. The problem with turbochargers, and this is the question I have for you, is that the effectiveness at which they spin up and compress air is based on the outflow of exhaust gases. So if you have a turbocharged car, that turbocharger relies on exhaust gases to spin up, to compress the air, to deliver that boost. The current Formula One cars don't have any turbo lag because they use the MGUH, that technology, to make the turbocharger spin on demand. It's always available. The new F1 cars aren't going to have an MGUH, so we're going to have this concept of turbo lag, which is the driver will get on the throttle, the internal combustion engine will start doing its thing, eventually the exhaust gases will flow to the turbocharger, the turbocharger will spool up and inject that compressed air into the combustion chamber. What do you think is the impact on F1 of the fact that, hey, we're ditching the MGUH that killed this concept of turbo lag, and now we're going to see turbo lag again? Is it a big deal? Is it not a big deal? For sure, for sure it's going to be a big deal. Also, we've talked about about this in uh, the, the last episode. For sure, it's going to be a big deal. People are saying, yeah, we're going to have more powerful engines. No, you're not going to have more powerful engines. You're going to have an engine which is like three-quarter of the power of the current engine. By basic calculation, we can see. Okay, for sure, uh, first of all, they have limited the, uh, the fuel flow. Previously, now we are, we are we have limitation per kilogram, so you you are allowed like 180 kilograms per hour. In the 2026, it it transformed, it changed to energy flow. You are only allowed 3,000 megajoules of fuel. It's not per kilogram anymore. So in a complex calculation, we can calculate knowing the the fuel flow, knowing the airflow, because we have also restriction on the airflow. We can know how much energy, thermal energy, we can get, and whatever. However, and how your your uh, engine is uh, good by transitioning transitioning this uh, power, the thermal, into effective power. This is what we call the efficiency of the uh, of the engine. Uh, Mercedes said that we have fifty percent efficiency, so it means fifty percent of this. Uh, fuel, burnt fuel and uh, temperature is converted into mechanical power. Which is way more than a road car. Just as a a point of reference, they are hugely more efficient than a road car. But with the help of the MGUK. 
okay we should not forget the mguk because without the mguk they're not going to be able to do this uh, 50 percent and uh, back to your question about the turbo in our cars mainly in the cars that have that have uh, twin turbos you always have smaller turbo and a bigger turbo smaller turbo will pick up easier okay it will give boost faster to the engine and when your engine revs higher a, but, a butterfly flap will change and convert the air to the bigger turbo which will give you a bigger bigger boost over here we have only one turbo that's where the engineers should work on two places on the turbo and on the mguk on in the turbo they want a wider spectrum if we can call it a spectrum wider range okay when wider range so the turbo will be able to pick up easier from the lower rev and it will still be able to give you boost at higher ends because you can't have the best of both worlds. You want it to perform as a small engine picking a boost very early, but it's not gonna be able to give you the amount of boost you want at higher RPM when, when as the bigger uh, turbo can't be spooled easy, but it will give you this kick at the higher RPM. Over here, it's gonna be like, uh, a debate between the engineers how and where the second part is the mguk the mguk should be able to perform and charge the batteries when regenerating the the, the energy it should be able to charge fast it should be uh, also uh, of course it's going to be 350 kilowatts but the main issue is by charging how fast because if you go to monza let's say how many slow corners do we have in, in Monza? Not many. Four. We have four corners. One and two. Okay. Three is flat out. Four, five. These are the chicane slow. And we have six, seven, seven. Uh, sorry. And the uh, before Tamburello, the last two, two chicanes. So six chicanes, we can say. Are you able to generate four megajoules or, or nine instead? <laughs> four. Nine megajoules per lap in Monza, that's where you have to focus on your MGUK, how you are able to uh, suck power from this uh, device within like couple of breaking points and just charge your battery. That's the main, uh, let's say, uh, problem that, that the engineers are going to have. I have a, a question about your personal preference. I think our listeners now know that Forced induction, like turbocharged cars, are my preference. And F1s had this interesting history where they were naturally aspirated, then forced induction, and the naturally aspirated V10s, and the naturally aspirated V8s, and then we went to the turbo hybrid era. And just to clarify as well, like just so you you understand, naturally aspirated would be an internal combustion engine that doesn't have the aid of a supercharger or a turbocharger, and a forced induction engine is an internal combustion engine that benefits from the presence of a supercharger or a turbocharger. What is your preference? Do you prefer a high revving, super loud, naturally aspirated engine or do you prefer a lower revving engine that benefits from forced induction i'm curious to hear what your preference is i love torque my friend i love torque i love low rev engines with high output so if, I, if i'm talking about my car being on second gear a bit of uh, <laughs> a bit of uh, gasoline and I'm, I'm gonna go sideways. Low rev is my 
my my sweet point if i if i can say no i love low rev with uh with turbo chargers for sure we can't we can, okay we're, yeah, we're, we're yeah, besties we can't here. ignore like the the rotary engine the high the high screaming engines with with the the, the four rotary engine with turbo charge they have a great sound but my preferences is low rev big block eight cylinder engine with the turbo on it dude i love it and i i think i should probably provide some explanation of torque i think we hear when we talk about the measurement of an engine you see horsepower and you see torque um and i think generally people understand horsepower but torque is a measurement at which the engine reaches its maximum horsepower so oftentimes you'll see uh, this was a particular reality of kind of those high revving v8s which is super high horsepower relatively low torque so you would have to get to 15, 16, 17,000 RPM to unlock the full potential. But what the turbocharger lets you do is it increases the, the torque so you can reach that maximum horsepower much, much more quickly, which leads into my next question. And you touched on something that I didn't know, which of course is that the current generation of Formula One cars are RPM limited. So they're saying you cannot exceed this many RPM. And I think the downside of that is the cars don't make that sweet, sweet screaming sound. And recently, Stefano Domenicali has been promising the public that we are going to get that loud, visceral uh, Formula One engine back. Is that going to be accomplished? Because you said that in 26, they're unlocking the RPM threshold. Like we're not going to regulate the the number of RPMs your engines can spin to. Yeah. Uh, first of all, this regs, these regs, these these engines, the FIA didn't limit it by a number. It was a gentleman's agreement between teams to limit it between themselves to 15,000, okay? We know the smaller the mass, the faster you can spin it. So these engines can go up to 21,000 RPM, okay, on the paper, pen and pen and paper. And they, uh, they saw between each other that 15,000 right now, they uh, limited to 15,000. In 2026, there are no limitation. They want to suck all the power from this uh, IC internal combustion engine, but what Dominicale is saying, we can understand one thing. I can understand one thing is after 2026, what's gonna happen? It's not. He's not talking about the 2026, but because whatever you're gonna do uh, with these uh, engines, if you rev it higher, it's not gonna be like the V8 because you, you're gonna have a higher pitch. Okay but not this growling of the V8 or screaming of the AV8. What I understand from, from uh, Dominicali's, uh, what he said is after 2026, probably in 2030, we're gonna have lighter cars. Why? Because they are gonna ditch all this electric, okay? Because we are shifting to uh, fully sustainable fuel, we are able to get bigger engines, in uh, v8 probably i don't know but the cars are going to be lighter no battery no mguk no mguh no all these ancillaries that may now uh, what's the weight of the cars right now we are we are in the 800 right it's 800 kilograms previously the car was two 500 yeah but before that it was 500 570 kilograms 500 so it's gonna be a major change that's what I understood from it. Ditching all the electrical, we're not going to go into Formula E. We are going to use the 100% sustainable fuel 
that will make us green. Can we say green? And we can go back to do what we love to do, which is big engines, screaming, speed, and proper racing. That's in my opinion. And just, just to be clear, what uh, Charbel is speaking to here is we know that the current regulations for 26 to 30 are set in stone. But what Domenicali has been hinting at is a potential subsequent return to a simpler formula that ditches all that ultra heavy electrical componentry, including the battery store, which is an obscenely expensive and obscenely heavy component. And that, hey, we can we feel that potentially we could rationalize a naturally aspirated V8 formula because we're using sustainable fuels. Um, and I think obviously the FIA hasn't weighed in the teams haven't weighed in but that seems to be where he would like to see the sport potentially go because i think he feels sustainable fuels unlocks a future that will deviate significantly from uh from formula e and some of these all electrical series my friend you and i would be totally remiss we're sitting here we're talking formula one we're talking power units but anytime we have the opportunity to sit down and talk mina grand prix i love to do it yeah. so so everybody <laughs> knows well well my friend my brother charbel is a guest on this show he and i actually partner and, and charbel is a vital backbone a pillar of this program but another project called mina grand prix and my friend Maybe uh, if you want to introduce Mita Grand Prix to our audience, for those that don't know what it is and what it aspires to be and what it's going to become, do you mind taking a couple minutes and just walking the audience through uh, our collaborative Mina project? For sure, for sure. Mina Grand Prix started an idea between like uh, uh, tweets on uh, Twitter, and uh, we used to do like Twitter spaces, and we saw that this area in the Middle East is not receiving the right amount of information and knowledge about Formula One. Although we love motorsport and engine and or all kinds of racing. So we decided to do a platform, a media platform that, uh, that brings all the information to whoever is listening and whoever likes this. And uh, we created Mina Grand Prix and we have many products in Mina Grand Prix. Let's call it products. One of them is uh, the Mina Talk Show. We've we've had uh, Mark with us many times. Also in Monza, we're gonna have have Mark uh, as a guest also with us, and he is a very active uh, also in Mina Grand Prix with us. And uh, yeah, basically Mina Grand Prix is picking up pace right now. We are having like uh, very interested, interesting guests here in the Middle East, Pre previous racers, uh, previous commentators in our local network. And uh, hopefully we can be bigger, bigger. And uh, someday we, we are dreaming to be someday covering Formula One on the ground, just like you see it on Sky Sports, Canal Plus. And we are, we are hoping for this. And if we dream big, hopefully we can get there. If you don't dream big, you're not going to reach anywhere. 
it's it's crazy because I think for people outside of that region, and we're talking the Gulf countries, and we're talking um, everywhere from Lebanon through Egypt and, and Iraq, there's a, a massive passion for motorsports that I don't think most of the rest of the globe understands. But the region is grossly underrepresented by media entities that are covering and giving a voice to those fans. And I think that's what Mina is really aspiring to do is to to speak to that ever-growing audience and, and huge props to you and the entire team. And, and it's funny, like you and I built our relationship through Twitter. Um, and of course, I met Reem, who is, is the founder uh, of, of Mina Grand Prix. I met her in a Spaces chat. And it's funny how these relationships yeah. evolve. And of course, yeah, I'm yeah, passionate exactly. about the region because my wife is Persian and I speak Farsi and my wife speaks Arabic and she grew up um, in a Gulf country and we go there all the time. So I'm very passionate about this place because I'm on the ground and I know the people and I know the passion and I just want to do whatever I can to 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 help spread the love and passion and, and I feel really strongly about what you and what the entire Amina Grand Prix team are doing and I also want to take this as a moment to announce that as part of the Mina program and you, you mentioned that there's a number of different products um, we're going to be launching a podcast series that focuses specifically on the business side of F1 and Charbel is going to be a big part of that with me and we're kind of sketching out what the first series of episodes would be so so uh, you'll hear lots about that in the in the near future. But my friend, I, I promised that this would be a 15 minute episode. We're creeping close to an yeah. hour, and I was I was actually texting our 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 mutual friend Reem in the background, saying that this feels like it is probably the best podcast I've recorded in the last six months. So I had a blast. I always enjoy talking to you. Um, I think you do an amazing job of making very complex subjects accessible to a broader audience, um, particularly me. I'm that audience, to be totally honest. But my friend, where can people follow you? Because independent of everything else, you've got a big social media following yourself. Basically, you can find me on Twitter or X, whatever you can call it. No, we don't know. It'll be Twitter <laughs> forever. I will never refer yeah. to it as X. So you can find me, find me mainly on Twitter under the name F1 Techie, also on Instagram and uh, TikTok and all other platforms that we are searching for, <laughs> which are, we're going to go to probably when Twitter, if Twitter is going to, <laughs> is going down. So all the, 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 the social platform, you can find me there under the name of Techie. You could also find Mina Grand Prix at minagrandprix.com if you want to check exactly. out the, the program and all the cool stuff that we're working on. Uh, you can also find Mina Grand Prix on social media, including Twitter. I will not call it X. Uh, we have an Arabic account. We also have an <laughs> English account. English uh, account. Yep, so you can check that out. Yeah. Um, and of course, if you like what we do here on the Scuderia F1 podcast, we would always appreciate a rating and a review if you listen on Spotify and you can give us a rating. It means the world to both of us. And if you listen on Apple, uh, you can definitely give us a rating and a review and of course we always share those reviews on the show because we appreciate them so much trouble my friend i i hope you manage to get through the next couple of months in qatar when your temperatures will be in the mid to high 40s with nearly 100 percent humidity hopefully you've got really good air conditioning at your place <laughs> yeah 24 hours a day so it's working 24 hours a day 24 hours if a day you didn't listen yeah, if you didn't hear from me like for 24 hours, 
you, you know where you find me. Come and knock on my door, check on me. <laughs> I, it's a it's a fourteen hour flight, but I I will any excuse I can to come visit you in Doha. Uh, my friend, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to everybody listening at home. Uh, we promise we're going to do another collab with our good friend F1 Techie from Mina Grand Prix because there's a ton of listener questions that we have left over from last summer related to internal combustion engines and turbochargers and electrical systems and MGUKs, and we promise to get to those later. Uh, but for now, bye for now. Have a great weekend, everybody. I feel like a locomotive sipping, drinking Arizona. Mixtape just around the corner. Did a lot in California. Can't wait to drop this on you. Yeah, they gon' have fun with that. Smash like song of men. My song's gon' break through like a running back. taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com